From time to time, we all crave foods that we know aren't beneficial towards our goals, whether it's for our health, for our physique, whatever it be, we know every now and then that we crave foods that just don't help. But what if it wasn't always you that was responsible for these cravings? What if bacteria within your body could be playing a really, really vital role in delivering these cravings and the, the urges that you get for certain foods to your brain? Cravings can be a real problem and many people really struggle to change their lifestyle due to those powerful desires for foods they already know to be unhelpful. But those cravings might not be coming just from you solely. There's an estimate that 100 trillion bacteria and fungi live in your digestive system and collectively form what's known as the gut microbiome. Studies have shown that the microbiome can influence everything from body fat and weight loss to your sleep quality, immunity, your mood, mental health. To be honest with you, everything down to how we digest food, use those components and, uh, and how that sort of flourishes in your body. But what if they could influence, uh, what if these gut bacteria could influence your cravings and keep us latched not to the foods that you need or want, but to the foods that they want? Okay, and they can do this. There's a long nerve that connects the gut and the mind directly. Uh, people refer to this quite commonly as the gut-brain axis, uh, otherwise known as the vagus nerve. And via this nerve, they can deliver everything from neurotransmitters like serotonin, things that make you feel good when you eat certain foods. And likewise, they can switch off your cravings. They can make you feel, you know, hormones are capable of making you feel full, feel satiated and not want to go for, you know, any more food. So they can keep you on track if this is a beneficial system, if we've got a body that's in support of your current goal, then these bacteria could, in, in essence, uh, help you. But I just want to talk a little bit about how this crazy world within us is, is, is even slightly possible, how we have gut bacteria inside us helping us eat our food, but also helping us make decisions about what food we eat. Now, Bacteria produce peptides. Peptides are proteins that can regulate your cravings and your hunger. And increases and decreases in these peptides can change how often we think about food, but also how long it takes us when we're eating a meal to feel full. A study on mice showed there was even a relationship between taste buds and gut bacterial composition, with mice living in bacteria-free environments developing a much sweeter tooth. But why do bacteria influence our cravings? What interest do these microscopic organisms inside our large bowel, what interest do they have over controlling our cravings? The answer when you really get your head around it is simple. They each have a desire to stay alive and, and better thrive by eating the foods and making us eat the foods that they want. By altering your cravings, gut bacteria can ensure that you choose to consume the foods they need to survive. The species most dominant in your gut can change over time and therefore what your gut bacteria need to survive can change over time. And the gut bacterial composition at any one moment in time is largely determined by what you eat. So the food you eat significantly determines which species are present and thriving and if you eat a lot of fibre for example you will feed fibre loving bacteria in your gut but you'll perhaps not offer much for other species. If you eat a lot of fat and sugary foods the composition of bacteria will reflect this and you will likely have bacteria in there that will encourage you to go for those sorts of foods in order for those bacteria to survive. So bacteria influence your cravings to keep you latched to whichever foods the most dominant species wants or needs in order to survive. Because without those food sources, they're going to start dying out. They're going to start getting desperate for food. They'll either flee, they'll either diminish, or they'll struggle to, you know, they'll struggle to find anything to consume if you aren't giving them what they ultimately need. It makes sense for these bugs to influence your eating habits. 
If we go back to the example of certain bacteria that thrive within a human who eats a lot of fat and sugar and not a lot of fiber. Let's say something changed, maybe they went on a diet that meant they then started increasing their fiber. Well, the bacteria that are currently in their gut aren't likely to be fiber-loving bacteria, and therefore quite a lot of this fiber is likely to go into that gut and remain unabsorbed, undigested, because they aren't in there, they're not present. The bacteria that you require to digest fiber will not be present unless you eat fiber. And, and that's not strictly true. There will be small traces of all sorts of different strains of bacteria. But it's the predominant species at any one moment in time is closely related to the predominant nutri- the, the way you eat, ultimately. The, you know, if you've got a, a high-fiber diet, it, you're likely to have fiber-eating bacteria. So when you change your diet, you create a desperation for survival in these microscopic species. And they will do anything they can to protect their survival. And one of the best ways that they can do this is to influence how we feel about food using happy chemicals and neurotransmitters, as I mentioned, which they produce themselves from our food to make us feel rewarded by the foods they choose. Without the foods that a particular species needs, it will begin to depopulate and another species will increase its influence and domination as your diet changes. The extent to which they can influence our thoughts and decisions is still quite unknown, but the pathway for influence over our cravings exists and benefits the species' survival. While all of this may be true, it's quite hard to get your head around this intricate relationship between human beings and bacteria when many people still view bacteria as very, very harmful. And that's not to say they necessarily aren't. It's not as simple as bacteria A are good and bacteria A are harmful, but there is an understanding that certain species are more dangerous than others. And in total contrast, some species can be incredibly beneficial to us. Good bacteria, to use a simple term, can help us digest food, unlock more nutrients from previously wasted plant fibre, defend our gut wall and protect against infection. When they take the lead, your cravings will reflect this. People who eat fibre are likely to have fibre-loving bacteria and without the presence of a food source fit for that species, they'll die or flee. So if your diet is poor, and it could be some of the more harmful species that you're managing to harbour, and in doing so, you could be reducing the populations of these good or beneficial bacteria. And this matters for reasons of self-interest. Over millions of years, the coexistence between us and bacteria means that they have learned how to master our minds. And in doing so, they can make you crave and consume foods they rely on to thrive. As I said, with chemical messengers, with happy hormones to reward behaviours when you consume certain foods. So yet, if you eat a a poor diet and feed or consume harmful bacteria, things could become problematic. However, a broad and balanced plant-based diet rich in fibre should encourage a flourishing, diverse and rewarding microbiome. And while the science on the microbiome might be, you know, brand new, everyone's excited, but ultimately we have to reserve any blanket statements because we're, we're still dealing with something that's brand, brand new. The one thing that comes up most often when people talk about what is beneficial or what makes the ideal gut microbiome it seems to be the word diversity that comes up most often people seem to do better with a much broader range of species living uh, in their gut at one moment in time and you can liken this to a healthy habitat on planet earth if you look at the amazon rainforest it thrives and it does well when we're not destroying it that is um when there's lots of different species okay monocropping is the opposite of this you know living with just one species in an area is not it's not beneficial it's not natural Species are interdependent, so a flourishing environment is diverse. It's rich in lots and lots of different life forms. And we can achieve this 
by eating as broad a range of foods as possible because different foods will bring in different bacteria, but also because different foods will feed different bacteria. So diversity of the gut comes from diversity of your diet. And this is possibly the only thing that we can say with any real certainty is the sort of beneficial route to take your gut microbiome in. We can't say this bacteria is good, this bacteria is bad, try and get this in, try and avoid this. But we can say broad spectrum of foods, broad spectrum of bacteria. And that's where people are finding the most benefits. And this tends to be fiber-rich plant-based foods. So is there a solution for those who are still feeling these cravings? Is there a way that we can escape them? Uh, and the truth is there, there kind of is. It does relate very heavily to nutrition and movement, as do most things in life, in all honesty. You want to be ensuring that you are eating a broad spectrum of plant-based foods, and you want to make sure that you are moving and active as often as possible. Complex carbohydrates like fiber are found in plants and they take longer to break down than simple carbohydrates like sugar. Okay, so when you talk about the complexity of a carbohydrate, you're talking generally about the speed that your body can break it down. Sugar is very simple. It is in its almost purest form. It doesn't require much breaking down and therefore as soon as it's in your gut, as soon as it's in your large bowel, sorry, as soon as it's in your uh, small bowel, the, the first part that leaves the stomach, is pretty much getting digested and absorbed into your bloodstream rapidly by that point. Whereas complex carbohydrates, which are ultimately still these sugars, but they're locked into long chains that require breaking up. These take a lot longer to break down. They therefore release those glucose molecules a lot slower. Your bloodstream will not see as quick a rise in blood glucose compared to with the simple sugars. So therefore, a slower release of these um, carbs into the bloodstream means you're less likely to experience some of the problems associated with the fast release sugars. What this also means is that if you eat a sugary diet, something really rich in sugar, then most of the food that you've eaten will be absorbed into the bloodstream very rapidly, okay, quite soon on in the digestive system. And your gut bacteria primarily reside in the colon or large bowel, which is much, much, much further down the system. It will take a lot longer for foods to reach there. So simple carbohydrates or simple energy sources will, will expire very quickly. They'll be absorbed into your bloodstream by the stomach or small intestine. Okay, so a little bit closer to the start of the digestive system than where your microbiome primarily resides. And what this means is by the time your food passes down into the, the gut microbiome, there's not really a lot of energy left for these bugs. Whereas with something like complex carbohydrates, with something like fiber, because it takes that little bit more time to break down with some of the more extreme complex fibers being completely indigestible without these bacteria, then we are talking about something that lasts long enough to make its way down to these bugs and actually deliver nutrients to them. You know, rather than be so simple that it can be broken down instantly, push straight into your bloodstream and digested and avoid them. We're talking about foods that are complex enough to reach them and deliver them the food that they need. It's really important that if you are considering adding more fiber to your diet or trying to change anything, that you do this slowly. That's ultimately the main thing. Like I said before, if you've not got the bacteria present to digest these new foods, then you might experience some problems. Fiber will pass through your gut undigested. And for a lot of people, that can mean things like diarrhea, bloating, cramping. It can be all sorts of problems if you don't take your time doing it. Now, years and years and years ago, we ate a much, much higher amount of fiber compared to nowadays. The standard American diet is, 
it's it's very poor. It's it's very high in fat and sugar and very low in fiber compared to our history. But that doesn't mean that overnight we should change back to where we were. It really is important that you take your time making these changes as slow as possible. The goal is to end up with that higher intake of fiber, but to do it in a way that allows you to encourage the growth and the nourishment of these beneficial bacteria slowly and gradually until you get yourself to a point where they are living in your gut and can help you break down these foods. And when you're in ultimately a position where you can eat fiber and digest it with this you know, cohabiting species completely comfortably. And it will take time. So in essence, by feeding beneficial microbes, fiber will begin to change the relationship between the gut and the mind. Your cravings for those unhelpful fatty sugary foods will lessen and your ability to digest new fiber loaded foods will improve as new fiber loving bacteria will begin to thrive and grow in number over time. The best solution to confront cravings will be different for all of you, but a slow and gradual increase in natural, unprocessed, whole food, plant-based food sources could help increase the quote-unquote good bacteria and reduce those cravings.